Lesson 18, The Need for a Friend. This curriculum is designed for people who are concerned about the future of the church in the West. We're training, not trying. The change is slow. Hard work is required. No one stumbles into health. We've talked about meditation, about beginning to pray, about fighting sin and the devil, but these can often feel like solitary activities. One thing we constantly miss as we read the Bible is that the writers assume that this new life Jesus offers will be lived out in community. You've probably heard almost every command in the New Testament is the plural you, a distinctive we miss in English, but would have been as clear to the original audience as if all of our translations read y'all. The Christian life was never meant to be a solitary affair. To make our point, we could draw our attention to the fact that the New Testament writers use some 100 times the phrase, one another. And yet this call to community, which is so clear, can often become very abstract for us. So let's tighten the lens a bit. Here's our big idea for today. You will not make progress in your life as a disciple of Jesus without a true spiritual friend. And here's the tragedy. Most of us don't have one. Arthur Brooks is a Harvard social scientist, best-selling author, who's given himself to the study of what makes for human happiness. He says the research shows that we constantly invest in the wrong things that are bound to disappoint us. Brooks says if we really wanted to be smart about what will increase our happiness, we would invest in our relationships, particularly friendships. But Brooks says what most of us have, he calls deal friends, deal friends. But what we need are real friends. And deal friends are great. These are our associates, the people we work with and laugh with. Our deal friends are our acquaintances, and they might be dear acquaintances, but they are not, as classically understood, real friends. And by classically understood, you should know that in the ancient world, friendship was highly prized. In his ethics, written as an instruction manual to his, to his son, Aristotle, in detailing what makes for the good life, builds toward friendship as life's highest goal. And his famous student, one of the great teachers of human history, of Christian history, Thomas Aquinas, would say centuries later, quote, there is nothing on this earth more to be prized than true friendship, period, close quote. Wow. And yet how few of us today have someone we might call a real friend. Oh, we have lots of friends, but precious few of us have what you could call a true spiritual friend. I feel strongly about this for a couple of reasons. First, because my life has been touched by a small handful of real friends. And once you've experienced what care really feels like, you can't go back to the friendships you've always contented yourself with. And second, because our nation is suffering under an epidemic that is far more costly even than COVID, an epidemic of loneliness. 
Our understanding of friendship has been so diluted that what we call friendship today wouldn't, wouldn't have even been recognizable in ancient times. C.S. Lewis documents that in the ancient world, friendship was considered to be the most valuable of all human relationships, whereas today he laments it is the least valued. And we might wonder how this demotion has occurred. Lewis suggests few value friendship because few experience it. When you consider Lewis was writing 60 years ago, and then that we've devalued the concept of friendship so much today, we've turned it into a verb that we think can be actualized by a click. Perhaps you're wondering, what are the marks of a true spiritual friend? What does a true spiritual friend look like? Well, here are four marks. First, loyalty. Proverbs 20, verse 6 reads, Many people profess their loyalty, but a faithful person who can find. Loyalty is rare. It's rare because it starts with presence, and presence takes attention. Loyal friends make time for one another. In the midst of our <clears throat> many competing demands, they make time, friends make time to listen to one another. Listening is caring. And have you recognized how few people truly listen or even know how to listen to one another? A friend makes time for you because your friendship is a priority to them. Loyalty means more than let me know if you need anything. That's what we say to one another. Let me know if you need anything. A deal friend says that, and they mean it. And that's not nothing. But a real friend shows up. A real friend shows up when you're in need. That's why, incidentally, you can't have many of these. You don't want 10 people showing up at your house at midnight, but you might like one. Sooner or later, you'll go through a storm, maybe one of your own making. When the hard rain falls, you'll find out who your real friends are, and you'll most likely discover it's not who you thought. In your grief, some others will withdraw. Your pain will make them uncomfortable. But a loyal friend draws near, even when you've embarrassed yourself in front of the world, not to give advice, but to give what will actually be much more helpful, their presence. I'm here with you now. <clears throat> I learned a lot about friendship from a medieval monk named Aelred. He wrote the first treatise in Christian history on spiritual friendship. He said, A rich man's friends abound, but loyalty is proven in adversity. Friendship is tested and proven in adversity. That's what Proverbs says, 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That was a remarkable statement in a culture as family-focused as the ancient Near East. But a true friend is someone who shows themselves more loyal than even your own flesh and blood. A loyal friend always has your back. And he or she has your back behind your back, even when they're being tempted to take sides in a conflict or pulled into what scientists call a triangulation. Elred continues, nothing is more praiseworthy in friendship than loyalty. Think of Samwise Gamgee carrying Frodo up the mountain when Frodo just can't go anymore. 
or Hermione saying, if you want to kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too. That's what a true friend says. I'd rather die than let you down. And if I have let you down, it kills me to have hurt you. That's the first mark of a true friend, loyalty. The second mark, honesty, even a painful honesty. A true friend is honest with you. And first, he or she is honest about himself or herself. A true friend doesn't begin by pointing out your deficits. Before he ever dares to hold the blade to your neck, there is already blood on the floor, his own, from the painful admission of his own secrets, his own sins. There are no secrets in real friendships. Which is why loyalty, the first mark, is essential. Because we do all have this fear. Will you stay with me when you find out what I'm really like? A real friend opens up her heart and is truly vulnerable. But Brene Brown warns that some of the people who may disclose the most with you are actually some of the least vulnerable. They give you enough to make you think, wow, that is really personal. But they're giving you enough to always keep you at arm's length so that no one ever gets too close. So how can you tell if honesty is real? Tears, tears, real friends cry together. First Samuel 20 ends, they wept with one another, David weeping the most. A real friend will break down and weep in front of you, loudly, uncontrollably. Beyond telling your secrets, real honesty is letting yourself be seen, your truest feelings like Joseph before his brothers, or Ruth with Naomi. You see, friendship requires intimacy, but intimacy is not possible without a tearful honesty. The Bible calls telling this truth about ourselves walking in the light. Walking in the light requires a searing honesty. And why is it searing? Because if it's genuine, this kind of disclosure is terrifying and painful. It hurts. And why would anyone go through this? Because it's also liberating and healing. As they say, you're only as sick as your secrets. True spiritual friends confess their sins to one another. James 5, verse 16. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to real fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers, as the devout, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. Bonhoeffer saying Christian communities often remain places where we hide behind carefully manicured reputations. We dare not be honest for fear of what the righteous will think of us or say about us. A true mark of confession is letting go of this caring about our appearances. Here's Bonhoeffer again. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. And concrete is the key word here, as is painful. Ken Sandy says you can tell the sincerity of someone's contrition by the specificity of their confession. We can only walk in the light by letting God and at least one other person see this shameful darkness. Here's a primary way we bear one another's burdens. We carry their secret shames. We hold them in complete confidence, but with a deep empathy, I could do the same or worse. 
Confession and friendship is healing. As the verse continues, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. It's healing because confession turns the devil's temptation to despair in reminding us of our failures and so accusing us. Confession turns this instead into an occasion for thanksgiving. We are courageously opening our heart before our friend so that he or she can proclaim God's forgiveness, that we might begin to experience what it feels like to be fully forgiven and finally free. This is the only path to real friendship where in the name of Jesus, we are gospeling one another, proclaiming the sufficiency of Christ's blood to cover all of our sins, his ability, the Bible says, to save to the uttermost. Indeed, we worship a complete Savior. Bonhoeffer again. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. That's beautiful. Friends are honest with each other, but also friends are honest to each other. A friend lets you in, yes, but a friend also knocks on your door when you're trying to hide. A friend dares to risk your good opinion of them by telling you hard things that others may see but don't care enough to say out loud. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. One of my teachers likes to say, if you ever have to say, I'm only telling you this because I care about you, then you probably shouldn't say what you're about to because your care should already be so evident that this cut will, in time, come to be seen as that of a kindly surgeon who cared enough to cause some pain, but only for the sake of healing. It's in the cutting, though, that often those we thought were our real friends turn out to have been deal friends all along. You see, deal friends hit and run. They hit and run in the name of care. But a real friend, if she dares to lift the blade to your neck, knows she's only doing that because she's already obligated herself to stick with you and stay around for the cleanup and the long, slow process of change. Think of Nathan going to David or Jesus with Peter. I see you, but I'm staying. How will we ever find an honest friend today? Well, you might have to deputize someone. You say, while I'm not crazy, I'm deputizing you. I'm giving you permission to come after me when I do crazy things because being human, I tend to. And because I know that you care about me, I'm giving you a license to help me see what the Bible tells me I have, blind spots that are hurting me and the people I love. Our only hope, not just to be a faithful disciple, but to be a healthy person, is to deputize a friend who cares about us enough to be honest with us, even when it hurts us, even when they know that like a cornered animal, we might be prone to lash out at them, bite back, react poorly, 
and most likely accuse them of being a bad friend for not supporting our version of events. See, deal friends give you what has sometimes been called idiot compassion. Oh, you're so right. That other person is so wrong. How could anyone see this differently than you're seeing it? It's what you most likely want to hear when you're venting, but it's actually not helping you. Real friends, on the other hand, dare to risk. Is, if, is there someone who cares about you enough that they're willing to cause you some pain, but, are, but prove that by their commitment to you over the long haul? Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Psalm 141. Yes, the truth sets you free, but it often makes you miserable first. And only a real friend could bear making you miserable. But prove their loyalty by not leaving after the telling. Friends are loyal, they're honest, but they've also counted the cost involved in being a real friend. That's the third mark of a real friend, a commitment that's counted the cost. We sometimes expect that friendships will just happen over time in shared experiences, and that's often how lifelong friendships have formed. But a true spiritual friend most often takes something we're not accustomed to today, a thoughtfully considered commitment. The Bible says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, 1 Samuel 18.3. It's strange, isn't it? Why couldn't they just say, let's be friends? Or why did they need to say anything? Because when you make a covenant, you're binding yourself to one another with a promise. In Jonathan and David's case, Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was trying to kill David. So Jonathan made a promise to bind his soul to his friend David. We don't make covenants today except in marriage. But functionally, I'd suggest we still do something like this. We tentatively test the waters, dip our toes in, as it were. Is this someone I can trust? Will they keep my confidence? Is this someone I admire? The people who pass these tests, who demonstrate over time that they are trustworthy, we may come to call our friends. This commitment is often unspoken, but it has to be felt for a real friendship to form. When you love someone, you want them to have confidence in your devotion so that they feel safe confiding in you. This is going to sound strange to our modern ears, but I'm saying you have to be as deliberate and intentional about choosing your friends as you would about choosing a spouse. Again, I got this from that same 12th century monk, Elred. He wrote, quote, A friend ought first to be selected, then tested, then finally admitted, close quote. Yes, this is foreign for us, but listen to how his sentence ends, quote, but from then on, treated as a friend deserves, close quote. Elred is saying that because it's such a big commitment, that to admit anyone to spiritual friendship requires testing, just like dating. There is a process of discernment. Is this someone I can entrust my secrets and my fears to? In different seasons of life, you'll have uh, acquaintances, uh, deal friends. Some of them may become dear, but only time will tell if this person will ever become a real spiritual friend. For Elred warns, not all whom we love should be received into friendship, since your friend, the companion of your soul, is the one to whom you entrust your soul, and therefore 
before whom you hide nothing. He warns, you must choose one who is fit for this, and he or she is to be tested, he writes. A friend must be chosen with the utmost care and tested with caution, but once admitted should be so born with that as long as he or she does not withdraw, you are bound, close quote. That probably sounds incredibly unrealistic to you, but maybe that's why many of us don't have long-standing, real spiritual friends. And that brings us to a fourth mark, and this is the critical ingredient in a real spiritual friendship, a shared passion to know Christ. See, you can be friends and you can be Christians, but that doesn't mean you have a spiritual friendship. Friendship is rare enough, but St. Augustine said a spiritual friendship is two together with Christ is their bond. Do you remember the last thing Jonathan says to David in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42? The Lord shall be between me and you forever. Now there's the picture of spiritual friendship. The Lord between me and you forever. Spiritual friends accompany one another along the journey of personal transformation. You may have several things in common, but if you have Christ in common, if the desire to know Christ is your abiding passion in a spiritual friendship, sooner or later, almost every conversation will turn back to Jesus. Friendships of any sort arise when companions discover they have something in common, which up to that point they thought was their own unique interest. It's when you say with a flash of surprise, you feel that way too? Common passion is the soil of friendship, but a common passion for Christ, that is the condition for a true spiritual friend. You find someone who wants to know Christ. In a spiritual friendship, Jesus is your bond and Jesus is your goal. I want to know Christ is the cry of a disciple. I want us to know Christ to better. I want us to know Christ better is the refrain of a real spiritual friendship. In closing, you might be thinking, well, I guess I don't have any friends because no one is like that for me. And if I'm honest, I can't even say I've ever been a friend like that to anyone. Fair enough. Part of getting a friend is raising the bar on our expectation of what a real friendship entails. Jonathan preferred his friendship to David over his own kingdom. See 1 Samuel 18 verse 4. Do you have a friend like that? Is there someone who prefers your care to his own position, his own comfort? Is there someone willing to set aside his own status in order to come alongside and help you at cost to himself? Is there anyone who sees you clearly and yet still pursues you, even after you may have done things to forfeit their trust, even treating them like an enemy? Well, don't you know that to be a disciple of Jesus means first and above all that Jesus is your friend? That's what Jesus says. I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my friends. John 15, verse 15. Does Jesus meet our criteria for friendship? Is he loyal? If faithful are the wounds of the friend, how much more faithful are those wounds taken in our place by our friend Jesus? Jesus is the most honest person in the universe, yet in full light of who we are, Jesus sees us and he stayed. He stayed on the cross and he counted the cost. 
in full view of who he was and who we are, yet he laid aside his royal privileges to come and rescue us. And he's passionate about us. That's what we call what he did for us, the passion of the Christ. Indeed, Jesus would rather die, would rather go to hell than lose us. Like Jonathan was a friend to David, so Jesus made a covenant with us. A bond in his own blood, as he said at his last supper, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. What a friend we have in Jesus. The dearest friend on earth is a mere shadow compared with Jesus Christ, Oswald Chambers said. When you know Jesus and experience him as the friend who sticks closer than a brother, as more devoted to you than any other friend ever could be, when you know that you already have the friend in Jesus that you've always wanted, then you can begin to be that type of friend for others, the type of friend you've always wanted to have. It's true, God doesn't promise us a great friend. He simply calls us to love one another as he first loved us. But if we will take Jesus at his word, if we will strive to be a dim shadow of the friend Jesus has already been to us, then I can almost certainly promise you will find a friend along the way. You start by letting your armor down, letting someone in, and noticing who comes closer. It is a risk, and along the way you will be disappointed. There will be tears either way. That's the cost of admission, even for the possibility of a real friend. But if you have one, if you have someone to help you follow Jesus, then you will also find one of life's richest blessings, a real spiritual friendship. So, if you want to follow Jesus in this world, Make cultivating a spiritual friend one of your highest goals.